Welcome everyone to Talia Tuesday on the Blueprint Podcast, where we dive deep into the realms of confidence and assertiveness with our co-host, Talia Bombola. As a licensed marriage and family therapist and specialist in confidence and assertiveness, Talia brings a wealth of expertise and insights to our discussions. Join us each Tuesday as we explore practical strategies, personal anecdotes, and empowering advice to help you cultivate the confidence and assertiveness you need to thrive in all aspects of life. Get ready to unlock your full potential and build the life you desire with Talia and Jason as your guides. Talia, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. We're always happy to have you here. It's one of those things. There's, It's very rare that we meet people that we really connect with and can just have general conversation with. That's why I think these Talia Tuesdays are going to be just a lot of fun very entertaining and super high energy because we're going to focus a lot on the questions that people are asking in the comment section yeah. because neither one of us can really get to those comment sections the way that we want to. And I know that can be frustrating for the people that follow us, but unfortunately between all the business stuff and creating content and then building new things to put out for everybody, yeah. We just don't have the time to actually be in the comment section itself. So yeah. what we can do is evaluate it every now and again, find the questions that really that we really want to highlight and start helping people that way. So one of the ones that came up most recently and that I thought was just it's a really great quote. And of course, we went over who it's actually attributed to. I saw that somebody said that it was Neil Strauss, but he just added a word before the actual phrase and then doing a little bit more digging. I found out that it came from the big book on AA, which mm -hmm. is Alcoholics Anonymous. And resentment is one of those things that is so difficult to overcome, but also acknowledge that it's actually happening within us. Mm -hmm. So the phrase is unspoken expectations are yes. premeditated resentments. Yes. What does that actually mean and what does it look like? So I think for myself, the way I describe it to my clients is resentment feels as though you're being treated unfairly, unjustly. Something is not equal or equitable in the relationship. And it stems often from what we think we're owed, what we think we deserve, what we've actually agreed upon with our partner. That can be a part of resentment. Also, they've told us they're going to do one thing and then they do or say they're going to do one thing, they do another so when you're looking at expectations are something that breed more expectations. So if I expected you to be here at, we didn't decide a time we were just texting, but if I was like expecting you randomly with no question to be there at four and you're like, I was thinking 6.30, then I'm going to be pissed off. It was four o'clock. We never had an agreement. It's just right. an expectation because maybe I always do my podcast at four. We base our expectations on our own standards, our own values, our own morals, our own experiences with other people, any pattern recognition that we've used in our life to get us as far as we have. And when we're not voicing our expectations, we're silently hoping that another person fulfills them. Think about Yelp, for example. It's when we talk about expectations, they're extremely exceeded or extremely dashed. This right. was the best meal of my whole life. Oh my gosh, five stars. Or this was absolute shit. I'm never going here. I'm going to give everybody one star. It's so, never the best mediocre meal I ever had. I, mean, I love the ones that are three stars. It was good. I'd probably yeah. go again. That's how you know it's genuine because it's not over the top out of the water or you know at the bottom of the ocean, so to speak, using that metaphor. And expectations need to be voiced so that they become agreements or deals or contracts, whatever you, wording you want to use, because then you can actually revisit it. So expectations in and of themselves are not problematic. It's the 
not voicing them and silently hoping that the person meets them, but then punishing them often when they don't, even though they didn't know they existed. So they're failing a test. They didn't even know they were taking. That's the problem. Expectations in and of themselves are not the problem. It's not voicing them because we're afraid. What if the person doesn't meet them? What it takes the fantasy out of it. If I don't, if I don't have to tell them and they just know, or they should just know my favorite phrase, how, did you ever tell them? No, but I watched a rom-com once and he, I'm like, that was fucking scripted. Do you have a director writing your life? No, right. like you have to voice your expectations. So they're a deal. Then you follow up. Hey, the other day we said it was going to be four o'clock. It's four 30. Where are you? Oh shoot. I forgot. Can we actually do five? You just change the deal. And maybe I can't follow through at five o'clock. So we have to reschedule. Like when you have a deal, you can actually change the deal or the agreement, but if it's all unvoiced, right. it's going to lead to resentment. So that's, again, where that resentment piece comes in with expectations, because I didn't say it, you didn't know it, but I'm going to hold you accountable as though I did and you did. It's one of those things we really have to be or learn to be or hone the skill of being adaptable in our relationships and acknowledging that, yes, we are going to have expectations. Mm -hmm. However, they can't sit inside of your head forever. You have to be able to express them and let your partner know. And sometimes it just doesn't feel comfortable to let your partner know. So for the person that doesn't feel comfortable letting their partner know, there can be a lot of reasons for this, but some of them, but the majority are going to be internal Mm -hmm. for the individual. How can we overcome that? I think I would come what I tell my clients is like a motto. So unvoiced expectations leads to assumptions and we all know how assumptions go because as the colloquial saying goes, it makes an ass out of you and me, which is the actual word assume. Voice expectations lead to agreements. So if you think of it from a perspective of I'm allowed to have my expectations so long as I voice them and it can become an agreement, how would I go about doing this? Is this, and this is, I teach a workshop on wants versus needs. Wants would be nice, but needs are non-negotiable. Is this a want or a need? Is my expectation coming from a want or a need? If it's a want, then I'm going to take the pressure off with my sharing with my partner. Hey, in my relationship, I really enjoy going to dinner once a week, ideally on Fridays. Maybe one's a partial need because it's connection, but I want that. Does that work for you? You could also just ask it like, here's what I'm wanting. Does that work for you? If not, let me know what would so we can come up with a deal together. Because you're No, not- I, I can't ask them because I'm going to get rejected and I can't deal with that. So I'm just not going to say anything. So I'm just going to silently shove it down like a trash compactor and then right. blow up with them and then wonder why my relationships end. Yeah, my favorite. And then my favorite phrase that usually follows yeah. that up from the other person is, I just can't win with you. Ah, yes. And it's most often from what I've studied in evolution, evolutionary psychology, it's most often said by men because men are more motivated by winning. Women are more motivated by behaving. So if you don't like something we've done and you tell us, then we won't do it again because we don't want to be not liked because in the psychology, the social psychology and evolutionary psychology, that means we die. If we're the least chosen one in the group, you're going to leave us off in the herd. Basically for men, they want to win for the most often testosterone is motivated by winning. If men are, and I've said this too, to my partner, like I can't win with you, but I'm more masculine in my energy. It's more about, I want to please you. I want to make you happy, but you're doing this bait and switch where you're not telling me what you want. And this is very classic in the going to dinner example. We can use that. If I expect you to take me to a five-star dinner for the first date, not a cup of coffee, and I don't voice that, or it's not very evident all over my profile or wherever we've met, that's what I want. And you come in with, this is my favorite coffee shop. 
you base as men, most often you pick places that you know are a winner. And that's sometimes if you don't have one, that's why you'll ask us, which frustrates us because we don't understand where you're coming from. You're actually wanting to win with us. Where do you want to go? And we're like, we just want you to pick. And your brain, you're like, well, I don't want to mess it up because what if you don't like it? And then what if we don't go on the date? So the key to meet in the middle so you actually can win is I've thought of these few places, which one sounds best? And then as our job, we could also say as women, I love these three places. Any of these would be a winner with me. And then that takes pressure off you because, okay, no matter what, any of these three would be a winner. I'll pick the one that's whatever, most convenient, best reservation, right. what have you. So we can both do a better job of meeting in the middle with it and not feeling like we can't win because no one likes feeling that way. I'm not really team competitive. I'm self-competitive and I don't feel, I don't like feeling like I'm not winning even against myself. So right. we could do a better job of motivating by asking what we really want instead of hinting at it. Hinting is like the worst possible thing because people go in that direct, the, this rom-com fantasy of the right one will just know without me having to ask. And as an, as an analyst, I know where that comes from. It comes from infancy with our mother child, literally relationship where we cry. It's our only form of communication. Is my diaper wet? Do I need food? Do I need to be held? Am I sleepy? Whatever it is, it's all I'm going to communicate. And my expectation projectively is that as a mom, like if I'm the baby, my, my, as my mom, you should just omnisciently know what my need is and meet it. And that is, there's many papers that I can cite to that stem from that. We have this deep desire from infancy. It starts in infancy and transcends all the way into adulthood that I shouldn't have to ask. You should just know the same way my mom learned me or my primary caregiver attuned to me and just knew but you also had multiple years with that primary caregiver, ideally. You didn't just have six months in an adult relationship, which mind you, you're both bringing in your own lives and baggage that you have to unravel at the same time that your partner. It's a lot. Yeah. Like relationships are a lot of fucking work. They are. Yeah. So um, I, one of the things that you said that I really is this idea that you you do want to please your mm -hmm, partner. Mm -hmm. And we, we've gotten to this place where it's, no, I just want you to please me. Yes. And, and there's, so there's a lot of conflict that mm -hmm. comes from that. So how can we navigate people that are like that? Because it's really frustrating when you get presented with that, because in your heart, you're coming from a great place. And, and this often happens with people that have more of an anxious attachment style. I coach a lot of men in this regard and really in this place of acknowledging and accepting that they have more of an anxious attachment. And traditionally, we like to say men are more avoidant. And I think statistically back in the day, that may have been true in the early, early studies. But I think now with the advent of social media and the way that relationships are changing mm -hmm. and ask any person who's on a dating app right Right now, the biggest struggles that they're having is they want the man to be more of a leader. They want him to be more powerful. They want him to be in, in his frame. Mm -hmm. But these men are more in a state of but being societally. We won't teach anxious. you how to feel. We won't teach you how to communicate. Right. We won't give you any of the tools to be what you we want you to be. And then we're going to punish you because you're not that. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. And, and then, of course, they they go into their own mm -hmm. minds, and they're just like, "I'm I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. So I'm yeah. just going to not." Yeah. I'll I'll practice stoicism, and <laughs> then go join a men's group where we scream in a field together. Yeah. Right. That works for you. I'm not knocking it. I'm just making the joke of what a lot of the deep work has turned out to be. I coach a lot of men too who have an anxious attachment, given the confidence and assertiveness specialization, right. and what I teach, same as women, like just human psyche wise approaching it from the perspective of how would I show up if I did actually believe I were enough, right. which is a lot of the work that mindset shift is requiring. 
And sometimes they're like, I have no clue. I've never had a model of that. And that's where as coaches, we come in and help them give a framework. So they know what frame they're stepping into the same thing though. They could confidently, you can confidently show that you don't have any clue what you're doing in dating too. It's, I want to please you. I want to make sure this reservation exceeds your expectations. If you could let me know what foods you like and what foods you don't like, that would help me. Even confidently being able to voice what you're unsure of goes the distance and can close that gap. So we're not feeling as anxious, even if we are more anxiously presenting. And today's relationships require so much of each individual because it isn't the same as we've evolved so much in the last 50 to 100 years, yet we're somehow still desiring those more traditional roles in some ways. Some couples don't want that at all. Some do or on the surface. But we're also asking so much more that, again, we joke, we haven't trained anyone to be, well, I want you to be really tough and calm under pressure, but also emotionally available. Like, I want you to have all of the traits without having been taught them. And that's just what I'm never going to ask for, but I really want. And you can't be afraid of rejection in relationships because it's inevitable. So if I tell my clients, make rejection your goal, let's desensitize you like exposure therapy. I want you to go ask 50 people on a date. They're like, what? I'm like, you're not going to go on that many dates, but I want every time you ask them to be like prepped for rejection. So by the 49th person, you're like, cool. I wanted that. Wait, what? Like we used to be afraid of this and now we're okay with it. It really desensitizes you to feeling like somebody rejecting one thing you're offering means a rejection of your whole self. We also need to separate rejection of one advance or rejection of one date does not mean I'm a terribly bad, wrong person. They immediately go to into, I am bad. Yes. And 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 then they just completely retreat. Yeah. So that's my, I'm teaching a workshop. I think it's whenever this comes out next week, um, rewiring subconscious beliefs. And part of that is that self-belief of I am bad. I am unworthy. I am unlovable. I will always be rejected. A lot of those, um, absolutes always and never, And it comes from deep down in our psyche, our view of ourselves that we projectively put out onto another person. And sometimes we almost divinely align that it's going to happen because we're not confident. We go for somebody way out of our league. We don't ask at a time that we think would be a good, like we subconsciously set ourselves up for what we deeply never want to be seen as to further confirm, see, that's all you'll ever be good for. You should never try, but you have to be yourself. You have to get out of your own mind and get ahead of it. And that's why making rejection a goal when you're voicing expectations sometimes can be comforting if it actually does happen because you're like, okay, I plan for it or start small. Hey, when I get home, could you fold the laundry? I don't know if you live with a person or could we do this? And they might say no. And you could, okay, that doesn't mean I'm a bad self. That just means they aren't fulfilling this one request. And a request is a request. It's not a demand or a guarantee. That's what I coach on too. Because people think I ask them and I'm like, people have autonomy. They're allowed to say no. Just because you think it's a good request doesn't mean the other person's going to. They're like, damn it, you're right. Yeah, they don't but away. The one thing that you can do, especially in the early stages of a relationship yeah. and, and certainly maintain this, but right. when somebody does something that you like, you mm-hmm. just simply say, I like when you do Reward X, X and it's just like all what of you a sudden appreciates. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's, yes, it's conditioning and it's a little bit We're subconscious, but you teach people how to treat you by what you tolerate. We, yep. we love to throw that quote out there yep. and it's all over social media. Mm-hmm. So start teaching people. But then we get people in the dating world. They're like, yeah. I, 
I'm not your mother. I'm not this, that, or the I'm other thing. I don't need to teach part. you anything, but it's okay. We all you grew up. Nine cats when you're 80. <laughs> yeah, we, we all grew up in the same era. We know yes. how messed up like family life was and relationships yes. and what they yes. look like and how dysfunctional they were and all the experiences we had. Mm -hmm. Yet you expect people who are children, but they're 30, but they're still children in their mindset and the way that they operate and the way yeah. that they get into relationships with mm -hmm. one another because they never learn this stuff. So they lack the skills and they can be phenomenal in all these other areas, really great at their job, really mm -hmm. successful, doing well, have a lot of confidence out in the world, but then in relationships because of what they witnessed and what was modeled or what they mm -hmm. didn't get to see, mm -hmm. there's a little bit of dysfunction there, a lack of understanding, and yeah. all of that gets lost in the shuffle. And of course, we have no compassion when it comes to that. It's like empathy just goes completely out the door. And then we're just like, nope, you're not the one. And then it's they're wrong. Especially like you're saying dysfunctional family systems. So back to that psychoanalytic quote, if I am expecting that of my parent, that omniscient knowing of self, and I never get that, you bet your butt I'm going to bring that into adulthood and put it on every single other adult romantic partner because it not sexual, hopefully intimacy, but closeness, intimacy, your romantic relationships are as close as family. So it triggers the shit out of those wounds and you bet your buns, you're going to be bringing those wounds in. So if I don't clear that up with myself and treating other people, how you want to be treated is great in theory, the golden rule, but nobody does that all the time and not everybody does it. So it's going to set you up for feeling upset and projecting how you are and expecting other people to be how you are is not only egocentric, it's not going to happen. And the onus is on you if you keep doing that and you don't let other people be themselves. That's how so many people get in these relationships or delusion relationships. For Delusional ships. Yeah, delusionships. And then they wake up and they're like, oh, you're never going to be who I want you to be because I've never given a chance to myself to see you as you are. I've only used you as a projective screen to you should be this, you should be that, you should be this. You can only fall in love with someone's potential if they also see their potential and are working on their own self-actualization of that potential. I give the SoundCloud rapper with the mattress on the floor example. If you're like, oh my God, he could be an engineer. I'm like, has he ever said that he wants to do that? No, but he could be. Right. He's a SoundCloud rapper with his mattress on it, but he could, no, but he- Is there any evidence in the past yeah. that he's yeah. building momentum in any particular yeah. direction that shows that he can be successful in a given area? Yeah. Do we yeah. have that evidence? And it's yeah. okay. That's how most people in their in their early 20s, right? We've yeah. all been there. That's how you enter into a relationship. You, mm -hmm. you have this pie in the sky view of relationships mm -hmm. and this person. And maybe you don't have a ton of experience, but you have enough that you really like this person for a lot of the attributes that, the ha yeah. that they have and the things that they do. But then you're also in grad school and you're growing, you're developing, you're expanding, you're learning, you're doing all these new things. You have a path that you are set on. This other person is not growing at the same rate that you are. And all too often what happens is we get into our 30s mm -hmm. and we realize that we've grown completely apart from one another because we never thought to use or nobody showed us or told us mm -hmm. about this to use the language of a shared mission vision for yes. our lives, to check in with each other, to have goals, values and standards that align in the long term, have a one, three, five and 10 year plan of where we're actually going. Yeah. As a couple, what can we co-create? And that's my favorite word. It's a word yeah. for 2024. Write yeah. it down. Put it on a post-it note. Yeah. Put it on your mirror. Put it in your car. Take it to the bank. Yes. Co-create. Co co what are you building with the person that you're with? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you're looking at it, there's. I wrote this. I'll give you a sneak preview from this book. will probably be published when my daughter's one, but we'll get there. I wrote this for this clip for today to share about um, resentment, that the longer you hold on, 
to resentment, the more likely you are to not view your partner's attempts to make right or repair as enough because the passage of time has allowed you to create this false version of them in your head and you see them as an enemy, not as somebody you're co-creating with, especially if you've been resentful for months or years. A few months of changed behavior won't eclipse that. It won't undo the enemy you've created them to be. The self that you had to become to protect you from this enemy partner will feel betrayed and try to convince you it's not safe to see them differently. They haven't changed. They won't change. And that part will also feel abandoned. So talk about a double whammy. If you have abandonment concerns or attachment wounds, you don't want anybody else to feel abandoned. But here you are, part of you feeling abandoned. So I like to tell people that resentments are an opportunity to repair or renegotiate or reconnect to a version of you that you see your partner being at times. So let's say they're relaxing and you're envious because you want to be doing that. Maybe you wish you could be that too. So it's about returning to yourself and it's less about if I give them this forgiveness or this whatever, then they're getting something and I'm not. What a juvenile, like to your point, we never learned past it. What a juvenile way to be in a relationship when true relationships require you to transcend a self and not be egocentric and look at, we are two people now. We're making decisions as a couple. We are in this together, but most people, I know I wasn't at the time modeled that in my, even my own family home, it was not modeled for a lot of us. And we came out of a lot of triangulation where a parent would come to us about the other parent, which is really inappropriate and not good. Or we were made to be parentified at a young age if we had siblings and we were their parent. There's a lot of family system stuff that we haven't worked through that can lead to resentment too. Because again, what we're really sad about deep down is you should just know. And now that I know that you don't just know, you're not the one because you're not going to rescue me from this infant fantasy, infancy fantasy that somebody will just, God, please just somebody know me omnisciently without me having to share. And I can give you, whoever is listening, no one is coming for you to save you. You have to do it for yourself. You have to work on this in therapy or coaching and be okay with yourself and start to really embody that belief. Even if it doesn't feel true at first, I am enough. I am worthy as I am. And I trust myself. Self-trust is another huge part of avoiding resentment, I think, too. Absolutely. And I think another, I talk, I don't work with couples, but I've had couples reach out to me. And so we've had basic conversations about some of this stuff. I always go to, what do you admire about your partner? Mm -hmm. Can you get there? Because mm -hmm. where there was love once, barring any like horrible incidences, infidelity, any big stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. If it's just a, a gr growing away over time, a, a mundane relationship, right? Yeah. You're, you're like going you're through boring. the motions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it does. It feels a little bit boring. And now you're like brothers, sisters, feels very family-like. And we've lost this edge that we had previously. Mm -hmm. And it's, do you respect them? No, yes, no. <laughs> and then they list out all the problems mm -hmm. and the concerns and the issues. And it's okay. Can you come up with three things each day that you actually admire about your partner? Can we start to build that up and create momentum in that direction as opposed to all the things that they're not doing mm -hmm. in this moment? Because it's really easy to get to that place. It's really hard yeah. to get to the place where you admire them. Yeah. In couples therapy, we call it negative sentiment override, where you can look at the world basically through shit colored glasses, or you can look at the world through rose colored glasses. Same exact scene. One of the trainings I went to, she's my husband's beard clippings were on the sink and there was a pile of dirty laundry, like gym laundry, and he hadn't taken out the trash or whatever it was. And then she's, I could have been pissed the whole day, or I could have said, yet yeah, the beard trimmings are annoying, but he's trying to care for himself and look good for me. The gym clothes are annoying, but he's going to the gym to be healthy for our kid. 
Yeah, he hasn't taken the trash out, but if he had, he would have woken our daughter up and she was sleeping from her nap. You can choose same exact objective thing you're right. looking at. You choose your lens that you look through it with. And I think maybe even pink colored glasses, even if it's not the colloquial rose colored glasses, just be neutral. Truly see it for what it is without your own projections, which is right. very difficult to do and can take sometimes years of analysis or analytic therapy. So if you need yeah. it, pick it up. but it does take work. It takes active effort to go against both like the ego striving to be right, but also that can lead you to sabotage yourself. So it's a very fine dance that we have to walk in our psyche. Yeah, it's understanding that everything is neutral mm -hmm. and you're giving it meaning based off yeah. of your past experiences and the way you see the world and your place in it. Mm -hmm. And so when you can get to that place where you can start thinking about thinking, right? You have a thought, you start to question it a little bit, you zoom out just a touch, and now you're the observer of the situation. Can you put yourself in your partner's shoes? What were they experiencing? What were they going through? What did they have going on today? It's all about me. Yeah. And so you remove that aspect of I want, I need, I, I, mm -hmm. and you realize that, yes, you are in a partnership and you do have mm -hmm. to co-create and you can have empathy and forgiveness and kindness on beard trimmings or garbage. And you yeah. can choose to see that exactly what you said that, yeah, your daughter was sleeping and it didn't make sense to take the garbage out at that time because you mm -hmm. wanted her to keep sleeping because mm -hmm. you know what? You've been awake all night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's actually thoughtful, not thoughtless. And yeah, the best might, like you said, barring anything severely against a deal breaker, abuse or trauma, intentionally, like psychologically harming someone, we do need to see the best of intentions in the other person. And before we get critical, get curious. Why yeah. didn't you do this? It, oh, oh, I didn't even know that you got that call. And that's why you had to drop everything. I've gone through that too. Makes total sense. Now I don't have to be a bitch. So you're bigger than yourself when you're in a relationship. Take yourself out of yourself and put yourself in your partner's shoes or put yourself in the shoes of, if I want to be in this, how would I ask this question? If I want to be in this, or I do want to be in this, so how will I ask this question? It Again, it's daily work, especially if you're working away from dysfunction towards function. So to, so to tie up resentment for today, yes. what is one thing that I didn't ask you that maybe I should have in regards to resentment? Maybe how soon to address resentment, because I do see that a lot in clients who ask, well, and now it's been years and I should have said something earlier, or I've been telling them, that's my favorite. I've been telling them for years. I'm like, tell them what you told me. And then they'll tell me. And then the couple says, that's not what you told me. You just glanced with your eyes. Like you didn't say any of the words you just told this nice therapy. You don't say this wrong. <laughs> I totally thought it though. Yeah, but I thought it. And that's where I think that gap is what you know or what you feel to be true needs to be spoken and shared with your partner. So they also have an opportunity to get in your head when it comes to resentment. As soon as you feel that, mm, I don't love this, address it. And I know some people are gonna be like, that's too soon. Says who? Like it's all arbitrary anyway. This is just my, it's Talia's Tuesday. It's just my, right. I think you should address it. And I try not to use the word should, but like, I think it's beneficial to address it as soon as possible because then it doesn't create this resentment monster. It's just like a little annoyance where it's like, if it's one paper cut, you're like, oh, I didn't love that. But the more you do it, you're going to have this gaping wound. Don't yeah. let it get to that point. Bring it up in a loving way because also- Death by a million paper cuts. <laughs> yeah. But when you've gone to at restaurants, I'm the first to be like, kindly. This isn't what I ordered. Could you reheat this? Whatever. And I had to get past other people judging me for it because people are like, oh my God, no. I'm like, it's their literal job. And yeah, I'm going to treat them very well. Like, 
I am going out to an experience where I don't have to do all of this for me. That's why I'm paying another person to do this for me. They will be compensated. I would like it to be the way I, I want it to. And that's the same thing as a menu. You go to a restaurant. I ordered this. I ordered spaghetti and meatballs. I don't, maybe some nights I do, but I don't want lobster. The menu helps. So think of your relationship as a menu of, I told you I wanted this. You agreed. I voiced this. This was our deal. <laughs> you wrote it down in your little notebook. You went back to the kitchen and you came out. Why do I have lobster? Address the resentment as soon as you feel it. And then your partner will also be more likely and more capable with their faculties to be able to hear you out because you're not going to be lashing out at them, angry, pissed, what have you. You're going to be addressing it like, hey, I thought we agreed on this thing. I noticed that it didn't get done. What changed? You can say it just like that. And they can be like, oh, I didn't know you want me to start that this week. Right. You nipped it right in the bud. You didn't wait but three years. It's always, how do you phrase it? Mm -hmm. what words are you using yes and what tone are you using because if you're using an accusatory tone yeah it's going to be automatic shutdown mm -hmm. you're not going to get very far with that and then you're Mental both going to be frustrated yeah, yeah. so 96 percent of the time how you start a conversation tone wise is how it will end so think about how much power right winning i can win by starting with a gentle tone no matter there might be a sea of rage underneath my tone trust me i'm the master at this and I still have to voice it in a way that is effective and gets to the true point because ego wants me to make the other person hurt like I hurt. Right. That's not what I'm about. Hey, I noticed behavior. I thought we agreed to behavior. What's going on? Do we need to change the deal? Did you have a rough day? Can I help you at all? If you go in that, your partner might also be like, oh my God, thank you so much. I had the roughest day, but I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want to let you down. You'll, what's the phrase you catch a lot more flies with honey than vinegar. If you start nice, you will most likely get the nice response. If you start accusatory, because that comes from our own projections of well, if I hadn't have done this thing, it would have probably been for this reason. And if they did it for that reason, then they must not like me very much. And if they don't like me, we jump to 900 conclusions where right. the partner just might've been like, I forgot. But if we're the partner that's, I never forget, then we also have to check ourselves at the door. So use a nice tone. Don't expect your partner is trying to sabotage or fail you and doom the relationship in some way. Give them the benefit of the doubt is what I would recommend. What about for our conscious daters out there who are early in the process? They're, yeah. Maybe they've been on three dates, so they're a month in at this point, yeah. two months in, whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. How soon should they say something about the things that they don't necessarily like? The most common thing that I see come up is running late for a date. Oh, yeah. Totally different lifestyle choices, like the activities they're choosing, which is obviously sometimes self-evident. If they're asking you to go paragliding every weekend and you do knitting and puzzling, you're probably not the same sensory seeking level. But let's say it's like running late and they might, there's a lot that can go into this, but they just might not be somebody who's timely. However, if it's brought to their attention, they can make the effort. You can share if you're listening to this and this is your, you're early in dating and there's something you want to address that's not some deep seated concern. You can share what I appreciate the most, what helps me feel loved, frame it in a positive way. I really yeah. like what turns me on, whatever you're into. The, if you are trying to include intimacy early, then the what turns me on phrase really will get somebody to be like, what? Okay, right. I'll do that. <laughs> you said it what it does what to you. I will definitely be on time. Like what works for me best in relationships is when the person shows up on time. 
I know I'm kind of like, and you can fall on the knife is what I call it. Like, I know I'm such a stickler. I'm a timely person. And that was my partner and I, same thing in the very beginning. Cause he was like, we call it Brennan standard time. He shows up when he wants. And I am like five minutes early to everything. We right. fight about that this many years in, but we've come to an agreement that there's like certain things on the list that it's whatever we can show up whenever. And there's certain things where I'm like, it, I, I take it personally if you're late and he knows that now. So, right. boy, but I told him early on, it's important to me because it also demonstrates care and concern that you at least communicate if you will run late. Please don't run late. But if you do, can you at least communicate it? Sure. No problem. And you work through it and don't make it a big deal. So many people lead up like, oh my God, I have to talk to you about this thing. Do you have time for a phone call later? Do this. And it's like nominal in the grand right. thing. So don't blow it up to be something bigger than it is. And if you deliver it nicely, kindly follow the rules we just talked about and the person takes it personally, gets defensive, what have you, they might not be a good fit just because they might not be emotionally mature enough to be called out for a behavior they're probably self-conscious of already. In the very beginning of this, we said that we think that we deserve things. Oh, yeah. But what is your take on that? Do we deserve anything? I saw Alex Hormozzi do a video on this the other day. That he's like, no one deserves What I'm that. referencing? Yeah. And I'm like, it seems absolute. I'm not discounting it. I do think it's a tricky situation people get themselves into if their belief of their deservingness makes them act in an entitled way. Or they become hurt over something that they think that they should have been owed that either they did no work to get or that was never promised to them in the first place. I think looking at it existentially, I think some people do deserve some things, but if it puts you in a brain of entitlement or a mindset of entitlement that it's like, I deserve to be treated better. Okay, then go get treated better. Don't stand there and then argue with somebody who's treating you poorly that you deserve to be treated better. Because really then you're not, you don't, because you're not putting yeah. yourself in a position to be treated better. So I think I, and I'm more of like operational definition. If we look up, I'm going to look it up right now because I don't want to butcher it. If you look up the operational definition of deserving something, do something or have or show qualities worthy of reward or punishment. So if you're looking at the worthy thing also, like merit or earn or warrant, I think sometimes if you've done the work, you do believe you're like, I deserve whatever it is, then go find it. And that's where I would take that back route of if you do feel that you deserve something, go put your life in a position for it to come into your life. Don't spend time arguing with people who won't give you what you feel you deserve. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I deserve anything, but I know that I'm willing to put in the work yeah. and, to, and to do that consistently enough yeah. that there's yeah. going to be rewards because of that. Yes. Yeah. But I don't yeah. think anybody's like entitled automatically to have fill in the blank, whatever, just because right. they exist. Yeah. I would agree with Alex on that part, but I do think if, if it's like a self-worth thing, if you're like, I deserve to be treated better, then it can help you grow. Like definitely tell yourself that you deserve something. And oh, go absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you're in an impossible situation. And again, this is yeah. the, the awareness of your thoughts, feelings, and emotions and yeah. acknowledging that, hey, you know what? I actually don't like this thing. And it's totally okay if I say no to this thing that I don't mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this isn't aligned with me. This won't grow me. I think those are other phrases for I deserve better. It's yeah. okay, go, go find better then. Yeah, yeah, I always encourage people, we got to look for different words for our experiences and try to get away from the words that are like, 
overly dramatic right or just have too much weight to them and really just look at things for what they really are because more often than not when you use a different word for something you can rephrase it in such a way that you're like you know what yeah it actually isn't Mm -hmm. that that big of a deal and i can get through this i can navigate this yeah and i also my last note on this would be don't assume other people have the same definitions that you do for certain words and phrases on time i talk about this with my students what is on time and i used to teach three classes a week. So it's like a hundred plus students that I would get answers from what's on time five minutes early within 10 minutes after the event, actually at the time of the event, if I'm lucky, if I leave the house 15 minutes after it starts, same word on phrase on time, numerous operational definitions, you be impeccable with your word, the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, like make sure you're double checking that other people have the same vision. Cause somebody could be like, Oh, I want to get married one day. And marriage for them includes cheating, not being faithful, not showing up on time, drinking, And, and you're like, I want to get married too. And marriage is literally the opposite for you. You will be married, but you will not have marriage the way that you think you're going to have right. marriage. Be very clear about what you mean when you say certain words and you're like, oh my gosh, me too. But what do you mean by that? Thank you all for tuning into today's episode of Talia Tuesday on the Blueprint Podcast with Talia Bombolo. Remember, building confidence, self-love, and assertiveness is a journey. And each step you take brings you closer to your goals. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for more insightful conversations and practical tips to support your personal growth and head over to my stand store to sign up for the 21 day self love challenge on sale now. And you can also drop a question for Talia and I for the podcast until next time, keep embracing your strengths, asserting your boundaries and living authentically. Take care and we'll see you next Tuesday on the blueprint podcast.